Welcome to the State of the Lakers postgame show from our season opener against the Warriors. An incredibly frustrating game. Probably one of the top two or three most frustrating games that I can remember watching in uh, this LeBron era with the Lakers. So I'm a little annoyed right now, but uh, I'm sure most of you are too. And Raj and I are going to talk about the game for, you know, 20, 25 minutes or so. And then we're going to get you guys up here to vent. Um, Raj, where, where, what's your headspace like right now? Where are you at mentally? So this is, I predicted them to lose tonight. And like, I guess my first just overall look at this is they gave zero crap about the preseason. I mean, all that stuff we were talking about, try to break down preseason games. And then you look at tonight, it felt like they were just playing a completely different sport. And just like that competitiveness was there in the first quarter. And I predicted that the Warriors would win. I just thought they looked a lot more comfortable, a lot more ready. This team looks like it fits what Kerr wants to do on offense. So I guess that's my first look is that the Warriors look good. They look legit, even without Klay Thompson. And then the fit with Russ is still not there, right? And I guess that's a place we can go to. But for me, I want to start with the good. So what? Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with LeBron or do you want to start with AD? I think those are the two, I guess, bright spots that you can say about this game. So, yeah, we will, we will start with the positive. I will try my hardest. I, I also predicted the Lakers would lose this game, but I predicted they would lose the game because I thought they were playing bad basketball in general in the preseason, just with their effort level and their Mm -hmm. focus and their attention to detail. They seemed like a team to me that hadn't really hit that gear yet. And one of my consistent basketball philosophies is that you can't do that overnight. Mm-hmm. Like you, that is something that is a ball that has to get rolling. And usually if you run into a team who's playing at that level and you are not, you will lose. And that's what I expected to happen. But today I also tweeted out that the one case here would be what LeBron was talking about. The fact that they've been having good practices mm-hmm. And that appears to be true. It appears that they've been having good practices and that has led to the defensive intensity that we saw basically through the first two and a half quarters. Um, Obviously that's not what happened. We are going to get into that. The positives though, and this to me is actually a little concerning is LeBron and AD look like two of the top five players in the world. Don't they on both ends of the floor? They look fantastic. LeBron looks every bit as good as he has in his time as a Laker, both, uh, athletically uh, getting where he needs to on the floor with his, with his, uh, you know, his mobility and also with his touch and his feel and his passing and all that stuff. He looks great. Anthony Davis, my main concern with him in the preseason was not how he looked physically. Cause he looks great. I was just worried about his jumper because he seems to be in a pretty extended jump shooting slump and he shot the ball pretty well today, but the, with the exception of the free throw line. So there was so much good on that side of things and I, I, I want to make sure that we point that out. However, that's what scares me is like the whole point of this formula is that when LeBron and AD look good, you lose yeah. uh, the other team. I mean, and in this case, like the Lakers really didn't even have a chance to win uh, with how bad it was there at the end. And so that, that has to be concerning. I think, I think, and that's unfortunate, but anyway, what was your opinion? First look at the LeBron and AD, uh, uh, situation to start the season. Yeah. So obviously it was a little bit concerning. Like I wasn't worried about them in preseason, but they just didn't look in rhythm. So we talk about it all the time. Like that is the most important thing of this season. We can break down the other guys, you know, Russell Westbrook's fit. We can break down the X's and O's, how ugly the spacing is, but those two guys are on. That's the core you build around this, right? This is a whole new revamp team, bunch of new guys, uh, him, 
AD, LeBron, THT, Rondo, right? And Dwight, those are, that's the core, but your core is LeBron and AD. Those two have to show up or you don't have a chance to win anyway, right? So those two being mm-hmm. your ground floor and you can build around that. And I thought they looked great. I thought AD, his jumper was going by. I don't even want to kind of consider that because that looks like it's going to be up and down as the season goes. But he was attacking the rim, right? He had uh, Juan Toscano Anderson on him. And it was just, you know, spin move right to the basket, get fouled. Or, and Rondo and him had a connection on lobs as well. It's good to see him being a vertical threat, being up in the air, um, not just everything at his jump shot. His three-pointer wasn't there either. But just seeing him attacking the rim, LeBron was hitting his jumper, and like he wasn't really going to the basket because he didn't have to. His jumper looked on, and you could tell he felt it. Um, he was hitting for mid-range, and it was kind of masking a lot of the, the ugly Lakers offense, right? Um, because he, because mm-hmm. his jumper was going, but he looked good physically as well. He was getting down the court and defensively, man. So, so I wanted to ask you about this because they trapped Steph pretty much all game, right? Until like the th- end of the third, the fourth quarter, they trapped Steph all game. And seeing LeBron defend that way is just something I haven't seen. Even last season, you saw it in bits and parts, but just him as his help defender, man. Because when you trap Steph, you need a guy to be able to rotate. And I thought he was awesome on that. Anthony Davis as well, covered up for a million defensive mistakes, man. Especially those Carmelo, Rondo, Westbrook lineups next to AD. And AD pretty much had to clean up everything. And he was doing a pretty nice job of that. And I thought the Warriors would eventually take the lead. Their three-point shooting would eventually come up. They took 14 threes in the first half, which is way below uh, what what they usually go to so i knew that would kind of pick up and plus it's tough to play a trapping scheme as long as they did that's just really tiring for a defense and i thought that would kind of catch up to him so that was my kind of takeaways i thought ad lebron looked great and then from there i guess we can kind of dive into everything else but it's good to have that foundation i guess that gives me a little bit of a breath of fresh air from from seeing this tonight yeah let me give that as the silver lining here is that with lebron and ad looking this good Frank should be able to find mm-hmm. a way um, to to make this work. And and for the record, most of the LeBron, especially the LeBron AD lineups, looked great yeah. uh, in in this game. And and to your point, with LeBron and Anthony Davis being able to clean things up on the back end, it makes the job so much easier for the other guys on the floor. And this is kind of where I think Frank lost me in terms of the tactical approach to this game. You know, you and I have talked throughout the preseason about like, you know, a base, like a a base floor level of talent that you have to have on the floor on both ends of the floor in order for things to function. Right. Like if you have too little shooting, uh, once you cross a certain threshold, then LeBron and AD won't be able to do their jobs. If you have too little defensive talent on the floor, then people won't be able to do their jobs. And, you know, that's the thing that was frustrating for me is like, how can you possibly I think it's a good idea to play Mello and Rondo at the same time. Like that, that to me is asking for those guys to fail because on their best day, they can maybe fill a very small role next to elite defensive players. You know, Mello, you had some stretches there early in the game where he looked okay defensively when he was with the better players but there in the in the middle of the third quarter, it was one of the worst stretches of defense that I've seen from him. And then he obviously made some mistakes in the fourth quarter as well. That to me is that the, you know, Frank understands that he does. I know he does, especially with his defensive approach to the game. So I just genuinely didn't understand. And I know people have talked about injuries mm-hmm. and I get that. Like, you know, Rondo's minutes, they're going to go to Kendrick Nunn at some point, you know, like, so some of these wing minutes, probably all of DeAndre Jordan minutes are going to go to Trevor Ariza 
at some point. Like there is going to be, you know, a, a greener pasture on the other side of this bad injury luck they've had to start the season. However, right now, the, he still has better options than what he's putting out there in just the way he's mixing this up. And, and, and I was, I was, it was frustrating to watch that because it just seemed to me like, like as a coach, how do you not see that when you play Westbrook, Rondo, Malik Monk, Carmelo Anthony, and Anthony Davis, that that lineup's not going to be able to guard, especially against a team that has at any given moment, two or three guys that can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket and shoot off the dribble. Like that's you're it's just, it just was annoying and frustrating for me as a fan to watch that when my inferior basketball mind compared to Frank Vogel could put two and two together and realize that wasn't going to work. You know what I mean? Right. And look, this is year three of Frank Vogel. Like, like we're not new to this. Frank Vogel's not new to this. He plays vets, right? He's going to play his vets. And I always thought, you know, Rondo came in and said he would play Jerry Dudley role. And maybe that's true when the team is healthy, but right now who's our backup guard. Like you talked about Kendrick Nunn is out. I feel like those minutes would go to THT as well. Carmelo's getting the Ariza minutes probably right. Uh, Malik Monk as well isn't, I think, fully healthy, but uh, but we'll see. But it's funny seeing the kind of timeline go crazy on Carmelo saying like he should just stand in the corner. And to me, twenty six to me twenty six <laughs> minutes tonight for Carmelo is too high. Like I've always said, always said that. Like I thought ten to fifteen minutes a night was fine for him. And look, he did his job tonight. Like if you're expecting Melo to go and you know read these uh, splits. Uh, these split post actions that the Warriors run and able to come out on Steph and able to hedge high. Like his job is to kind of trap. I thought he did his job fairly well in that and and to cook for a little while. And he, he did push an offensive run. Right. And then he got, you know, a little happy with his post-ups and stuff. So like, I don't know, like blaming Carmelo for that is tough to me. And I wanted to ask you, would you, would you, he made a critical, critical defensive error when the game was, I think it was back to two. And he was guarding a Steph, a Steph Curry pick and roll and didn't even come out above the top of the key. And I, and I, I literally was just like that. The game is in the balance and you need to have guys on the floor who understand the way that that Steph Curry pick and roll can change the complexion of the game and, and understand the job that you have there in that pick and roll. And that, that to me is mellow throughout his career for better or worse has not had to worry about that mm-hmm. stuff because of the role that he's had on those teams when he was in his prime. And, and that, that to me is just like, it it to me was the kind of the epitome of what we've been worried about coming into this is just, you know, you, the, these particular guys, you can count on them for small stretches, like you're saying Mm -hmm. for small roles. But when it's middle of the fourth quarter and Steph just checks in at the six minute mark, and that's Carmelo Anthony defending the screener in a pick and roll Steph Curry is salivating at that. Mm-hmm. That's what he wants to see. And I just feel like there were better options, but that I digress anyway. Yeah. Like they, and saying. they picked on him a lot all night, right? They, they brought up whoever Carmelo was guarding and made him the screener. And again, that's going to happen. Like, and I just don't, I feel like you can get away with one bad defender. Like we talk about, but just the Rondo Westbrook mellow lineups. And I think Malik Monk also out there next to AD. That's just a lot for AD to cover. And the Warriors are one of the best ball movement motion offense teams in the league and that's just really tough to stop they drive and kick really well and they got us in a rotation a bunch and again i thought in the first half our defense was okay but those those end of the quarter kind of runs i think we gave up a bunch of runs just to end the quarter right whenever lebron would come out or 80 would come out and just get a little break before the end of quarters the warriors would go on a run whether steph was on the floor or not and i thought that was pretty much what decided the game and in the fourth quarter when they went on that run without steph even on the floor 
I thought that was a pretty bad omen. But I want to ask you about uh, DeAndre Jordan because I see a lot of a lot of people upset at him, and I have my thoughts. I guess and it's funny. Like I, I gave the Javale comps, and the first play of the game we ran was when we won the tip, and he immediately ran to the rim and got a lob dunk, which is exactly the play that they would run with Javale every single time that he wanted to, wanted to tip. But I want to ask you, like, what do you think of Javale? Oh, sorry, not Javale. Excuse me, DeAndre Jordan uh, tonight, who was a plus two on the night, and he only played. 12 minutes you know so it's tough for me to blame the game on him when he only played 12 minutes tonight but what'd you, what'd you think of deandre jordan at, at center okay I'm, I'm gonna vent here again <laughs> for a second so i apologize in advance for people because i'm gonna sound very annoyed you know of course he was plus two <laughs> he was playing alongside lebron james and anthony davis and russell westbrook they made his job of easy. course and you know and and what what's what was frustrating for me is Again, you have to look at the bigger picture here. And they play DeAndre Jordan to look at the bigger picture. Their thought process is we need to keep our centers engaged because apparently DeAndre Jordan isn't enough of a professional to realize that if he's not in the rotation for, you know, 10 games, but then Dwight takes a break, that that's his time to play. Like for whatever reason, they can't kind of figure that concept out because they used to do the same thing with JaVale McGee for whatever reason. But the point is they didn't score for the first three minutes of the second half. And uh, uh, when they finally did, I think the Warriors were on a uh, eight to two run or something like that at that point, blowing whatever progress you had established in the first half. Why did they not score in the first three minutes of the second half? You tell me, was it a lack of space? Was it the fact that you had essentially a useless offensive body on the floor? Like that, that, that's the kind of thing that I look at here is as far as I'm concerned, yes, you're going to win those minutes because of how good your stars are. But if instead of being plus two with your starters, maybe you're plus 12 with your starters because that's what should happen when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the court at the same time, you're you're willingly sacrificing points for the sake of of catering to this person's emotions. And, you know, and I get it. Some people have pointed out to me today, hey, you had injuries, uh, you know, to guards and wings that put you in the position where DeAndre Jordan has to play. I call absolute horseshit on that part of my language. And, and the reason why is because when you actually look at the way um, LeBron and AD defend on the back line, they when the two of them are on the court together, size is not an issue. It's absolutely not an issue. And when you get into other lineups, when LeBron or AD are on the floor by themselves, that's when you need to have somebody like a, uh, a Dwight Howard on the floor to help with the overall size of the lineup, if that makes sense. Or, you know, like I've always preached, like, you're going to play Carmelo playing with Anthony Davis that well, like you discussed so that Anthony Davis can help clean up some of his mistakes. But at the end of the day, they had options. Austin Reeves, when you actually look at what they need from that role, because you know what? Carmelo's post-ups aren't actually moving the needle. They might help you rescue the occasional possession here or there, but they aren't actually moving the needle. When you look at what you need from Austin Reeves to do while he's on the floor, guard, Get over the top of screens, help with box outs, help crash the glass, run the floor in transition, you know, defend like crazy, all that stuff. When you look at what you're asking him to do, he can succeed in that role. And that was where I got was frustrated with it is you had the ability to make sure that your baseline size and baseline physicality was still there without playing DeAndre Jordan. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Lakers couldn't score to start the second half. I absolutely think that was because of DeAndre Jordan. But that's, I, I, like I said, I just wanted to bench first. <laughs> for sure. And 
I kind of disagree with you that it's only to what's called cater to DeAndre Jordan, right? Because I, I think this Vogel again to me, this is our third year with him. He's a counter puncher, right? So he's going to go with what he likes. He likes that two big lineup. I, I think that's no secret. I think he said that as well. And I think he likes Dwight Howard in the, in that kind of uh, backup role. And to me, again, six minutes every half. I don't think that's why they lost his, lost this game. And again, it is a trade off between offensive defense and DeAndre Jordan is not going to be able to come out onto Steph, but I thought there were a few plays where, like, you saw kind of the structure of the defense they want, even if DeAndre Jordan is not the correct guy to place in it, where, like, Bazemore would, you know, fight uh, fight over Steph, chase Steph and then give him back pressure while DJ's kind of waiting in the lane. And you have AD and LeBron kind of roaming, uh, trying to trying to guard three-on-twos and stuff like that on the, on the backside. Like, I think that's kind of the structure they want. And, again, it was just six minutes in each half, and I don't think he decided this game. I don't think he helped the game either. I think it's just something that AD obviously likes. And, again, maybe injuries is the excuse why he can start right now. But I just think that's where it is with DeAndre Jordan. So that's kind of my take uh, on DJ. But, again, like – To be clear, I thought he was a little – I thought he was – I thought he had stretches in the preseason mm-hmm. where he where he was a little bit more – you know, driven with his motor and he was moving and actually getting down in a defensive stance and trying to be mobile and trying to be impactful defensively. Like I thought he was really good against the Kings the other mm-hmm. night, but, but tonight in particular, he just wasn't good. He did like when, when, when Nemanja Bielitsa or, or not, oh, uh, or Kevon Looney, I should say when Kevon Looney catches the ball on the block and he can very easily just pump fake you out of your shoes and just go to the other side and finish. Like that's the one that we need you to shut down. You know what I mean? That's an easy job. You're a seven foot or you're six ten, and you're relatively mobile. You should be able to keep Kevon Looney from scoring. If he doesn't have an obvious advantage against you. And, and those are the kinds of things where I, I, I thought that like he, he wasn't as good as he could have been, but also I think depending on him in that starter role, I think is a mistake. I think that's, I called it point shaving today as a joke. And I, to be clear, I was joking, but to be clear, I think for the pro for whatever the size, whatever it is that he is obsessed with, with having size on the floor, I think the trade off on the other end is actually negatively impacting the team. Yeah. And and like my biggest issue where I was going with this, with the like starting lineup. And again, I've talked about it. I don't mind the six minutes to start each half because he's not going to play when it matters. But my biggest issue is that we're seeing AD, only play the five next to Carmelo, right? So we're not seeing any LeBron and AD at the four or five, which is where you get that advantage, right? Where LeBron kind of moves down a position and he's able to play the four and still and they still be this physical monster. When you put Carmelo at that spot, I just feel like it makes it a lot different, and especially with the struggles that Russ is having as well. It's it's really weird. Like we ran our offense through Avery Bradley to close the game. Like it was like Carmelo, Avery Bradley, LeBron, AD, I believe, to close the game. And we were running our offense through mm-hmm. Avery Bradley and just a quick funny thing on Avery Bradley he wasn't here last season but it's funny how they just went right back to running actions they ran with him in 2019 those like dribble handoffs that he likes to do kind of come off and you saw him feed AD and he hit his corner three it's just funny um, to kind of see him get minutes but yeah that's my biggest issue with that is that we don't get enough LeBron and AD at the four or five with Russ actually as well I think that would help Russ as well just in terms of spacing and stuff uh, we see Russ like play next to Melo and again Melo can space but there's a lot of times he goes in the post um but I guess we can kind of move on from that. Let's talk about the big thing that's going to be, I guess, the storyline every single night. I don't think this is going away. So I'll ask you first. Like, what do you think of Russ tonight? This is day one, so I want people to remember that. This is day number one of Russell Westbrook, uh, a regular season Russell Westbrook. What did you see from Russ tonight in, in, in totality? So... <laughs> 
I uh, talked about this with you and and Mr. Jason Maples and mm-hmm. Benet, uh, uh the other day, and so I'm uh, to be clear, and I have to disclose this up front. I I have a preconceived notion of this move. I didn't like the trade when it happened. I thought it would negatively impact the team. So that's probably going to color my analysis to some extent. So I want to disclose that up front. That said, right now, Russ is a bad basketball player. He cannot shoot. Mm -hmm. He has poor shot selection. He has poor drive selection. He looks like a bull in a china shop. He, there were several possessions in the second half where when he had absolutely no angle or spacing or even any real, you know, vision of what the defense was doing and what his advantage was, he would just put his head down and go into the lane and and either throw some stupid thing up at the rim that had no chance of going in or turn it over or get an offensive foul. And then on defense, he was actually pretty good to start the game. But I thought uh, uh, as the game progressed, he got sloppier and sloppier on that end. And a lot of this, I need to watch the film. I need to go back tomorrow and get a, a really good, clear look at, uh, you know, the totality of his impact on the game. There was a couple of stretches there at the second in the second half where, like, he started crashing the boards really hard. And he actually salvaged a couple of possessions with his athleticism. But right now, he's not a good basketball player. Will that change? Probably. Everyone who ever has talked about Russ tells us that, he struggles to start the season as he figures out what his fit is. And then he kind of kicks it into gear at some point along the way. I thoroughly expect him to have nights with the Lakers where he looks good, but this kind of thing to me, like he, he, if, if you had to assign a blame pie for this loss, I think he deserves the biggest chunk uh, because of the amount of, uh, of possessions he hemorrhaged and the way that that ended up, costing the team during the two pivotal runs, which was at the end of the third quarter. And then there in the, uh, in the fourth quarter. So like from that perspective, again, I'm biased. I didn't think this would work really great. So throughout the year, I'm probably going to sound frustrated. You guys should be prepared for that. That said, I thought today was kind of your textbook example of bad Russ and the way that it can hurt a basketball team. And and that's going to be really annoying for me this year. And honestly, I'm going to have to like, work on my <laughs> work on my patience yeah i mean so when we did when they did the space on about preseason we talked about how it's like process over results right and i even though this is the regular season you still kind of have to look at it that way because i feel like russ is looking at it that way and i can only go by what my expectation was of him and what we can see now right and i'm shocked how and again this is day one so it's not some huge take here but i'm shocked how much he's trying to i guess adjust to the team like if you remember when Russ came to the Lakers, it was more like, hey, we have to try to calm Russ down, right, or try to make him fit in. And it feels like this is the opposite problem, <laughs> which I don't know is a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I want him more aggressive. I guess, like, it's too much of this, like, standing, trying to feed AD, trying to f- feed LeBron, and then try to attack, and then there's three people in the paint, right? It's a lot of that, and I feel like he will be better off just being aggressive, and I think that just take time and again it's it's a process of a result thing and I, I saw some good process tonight and look there's bad shots and you have to kind of get used to that I guess like the, the shot selection with Russ is what it is he's been in the league however long he's been in over a decade in the league like the shot selection isn't changing by that much he's still going to come down take a contested mid-range to try to bank it off the glass right and I'd love to see the numbers on what he is when he tries to bank it off the glass I think he's actually better when he tries to do that but you know the hold it wait for the defender to come up to kind of back up a little bit and then take that contested three like those are shots 
they're going to see. But I thought I saw a few good things. Like, he is pushing the pace. Like, he was one of the reasons. And his box score tonight, he was a minus 23. And you'll see that number all the way until Friday, I feel like, uh, when they play their next game against uh, against Phoenix. But there was a few good things I saw, like, where he would give a post-entry to LeBron, and then the, they would they would double one pass away, which you're really not supposed to do. But since it's rust, they do. And he did a hard cut, cut to the lane and found Bazemore in the corner. Like, I saw some of that. I saw him get a little bit more comfortable. He missed a dunk, like a layup dunk tonight. He missed a lot at the rim where he thought he got fouled. But it's it's going to be an adjustment. Like, again, I'm shocked. I don't know about you, Jason, but I'm shocked at how much he's, I guess, trying to, like, not step on LeBron and AD's toes, you know? Or even, like, playing, like, when Rondo and him share the floor, it's almost like Rondo's the de facto point guard instead of, like, Russ being the on-ball guard, on guard and trying to have Rondo, who's actually the better spacing three-point shooter, play off the ball. Like, it's a lot of playing through Rondo, a lot of playing through a lot of passiveness that I just didn't expect, I guess, which again, I'm not sure that's a good thing he's trying to adjust or, but to me, I think he should be himself. Like, what do you think about that? Cause I'm shocked at how much he's trying to adjust to the team rather than them trying to him be himself and play his game. You brought up so much interesting stuff right there. I'm going to try, <laughs> try to hit it all. You, the, the Rondo stuff was, was so incredibly confusing to me, putting him on the ball. Yeah. Um, not, o- not only because it moved both Russ and Malik Monk, who in the preseason showed a, a lot as a ball mm-hmm. handler in pick and roll. Um, and as somebody who is, quite frankly, dangerous in pick and roll, especially with Anthony Davis on the floor. Because when, p- when you pair Anthony Davis as a screener with a shooter, who can, or with a ball handler who can shoot off the dribble effectively, it's a deadly combo because it forces the guy to chase over the top, which basically gives you automatic dribble separation as the ball handler or is going to bring the big over, which is going to allow AD to get open in the pocket pass. So like that should work. And Malik Monk was relegated to a corner shooter because of Rondo. I was so genuinely confused by that. I thought that was the point of bringing in Malik Monk. Like you brought in Malik Monk. You didn't bring in Malik Monk to be Ben McLemore. You brought You brought in Malik Monk to be a lottery pick. A guy who can make things happen off the dribble. I was so confused by that. Um, but moving back to the to the Westbrook element of it, you talked about how you want him to be aggressive, and I agree. I think, like, just in general with Russ, indecisiveness is going to be a problem. Um, but that was what was so strange about the Russ effect. Like, you have to think when you're when you're one of these stars that has the ability to get by somebody off the dribble. It's not about the ability to get somebody off the, buy someone off the dribble. LeBron knows he can beat his man all the time. Of course he knows that. So does Anthony Davis. The, the trick is reading what's happening behind your defender. And, and that to me is just basic basketball IQ stuff with Russ that he's been lacking throughout his career. This like, I know I can beat my man, but I ha- and I, I but like I kind of haven't touched the ball in a little while, or I haven't taken a shot in a little while, so I'm just going to put my head down and go. And he doesn't realize that because of the circumstances happening around him in the five-on-five basketball game, that the Warriors have the paint packed because your guys aren't even down the floor yet because you're kind of pushing in transition, and the, the Warriors have done a good job of getting back probably because they've been coached up on it all week, prepping for the fast-breaking Lakers. That's basic basketball IQ stuff that where he's, he's making it low percentage. It's aggression that has a very small chance of succeeding because of the circumstances. What I would like to see is Russ being more aggressive in the flow of the offense in the half court. Do get him in a situation where there isn't help under the rim because maybe he's without a, another center on the floor and maybe 
LeBron setting a ball screen or Anthony Davis is setting a ball screen and, and they're shooting surrounding him and he's got space where he can beat that man off the dribble and not have to make decisions, but rather just go all the way up to the rim and score. And that, that to me would be the, the version of this that could work. I thought he was indecisive tonight. And when he was in the flow of the offense, and you're right, force feeding AD, constantly making post-entry passes and then cutting through to the other side. That's what he was doing when things were in the half court. But then what he would do is just randomly break off script and make a really low aggress- a low chance of success, low, uh, 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 you know, random burst of aggression that didn't make sense with what they were doing. Where to your point, I'd like to see him be aggressive in the flow of the offense. I think he'll get better looks that way. Uh, does any of what I just said make yeah, sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and again, like you see the timing is off as well, as well, right? So a lot of times, and again, this is tough to kind of judge with the spacing, I guess, with DJ's in the dunker spot. And a lot of times when Russ is off the ball, he'll move to the dunker spot. So like when LeBron and AD or run a screen and roll, he'll move there. But when he's on the ball, they'll, they'll, set, they'll set a lot of like step-up screens where they do a little bit of action and then he'll catch it. He won't have his dribble yet. DJ or AD will come up and set the screen. And AD will, like, roll into his driving space. Do you see that as well a lot? Like, I see, like, AD rolling, and they'll, like, run in each, run, to, run into each other. I think AD drew a foul on that. And, again, these are just timing stuff. And, again, when you listen to people who watch Russ a bunch of times throughout his career, they say that he does start slow. But I guess, again, I didn't expect this type of lack of aggression. And I'm not just talking about shots, taking shots as well. I just mean, like, when he's coming up, it's just like it's very passive. It's not with a mindset to get to the basket or to score. Like he can, I mean, he can blow by guys, and he is trying to find. But it's like a over. He's like making the decision of what he wants to do before he does it. I guess if that makes sense. Like he's driving, he's driving mm-hmm. two pass right, and then the Warriors are kind of playing him for that, and then he'll try to shoot at the end. He'll miss a layup or something like that. And I feel like the rest got in his head as well tonight. I think he got a tech. And uh, he thought he was getting fouled at the rim. And those are stuff that happens. And, again, I think he'll get used to it. This is day one. But like, that's my overall, I guess, Russ takes. I don't want to do these overall overarching kind of takes early. Everyone's saying, like, trade Russ. I mean, we got to slow down. It, it's, it's, it's day one. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. And I think Vogel, I'm just reading the quotes. He said that Russ has the biggest adjustment to make, which makes sense, right? You have a lot of the LeBron and ADs, the core, and Russ is trying to fit around that. But I still, I still like him to be more himself, and I think he can. Yeah, so I, just in general with Russ, I, I do want to be preach patience to some extent because he's here for better or worse. Like, right. if he if he absolutely bombs out, like and looks absolutely horrible for twenty games, he becomes effectively untradeable. So from that stand, because of his contract size. So from that standpoint, like he's with the Lakers for better or worse. They have to find a way to make this work. And I'm with you about avoiding the grand scheme type of, uh, of overarching analysis with the Lakers. However, mm-hmm. the one thing I'll say is it is hard to lose a basketball game when LeBron and AD play this well on both ends of the floor. You and I preached extensively in previous seasons. When LeBron and AD are playing on the, on the floor together and look like themselves and are healthy, if your role players play great, you beat the hell out of the other team. If your role players play okay, you win by 15. And if your role players suck, you still win by two or three points. That's That was our joke that we had over the last couple of years. And the, the reality is, is tonight they lost by double digits with LeBron and AD playing great. And so that has to be at least a little bit concerning. Now, I, I, I don't see the point in getting overly wrapped up in it because they do have – 
reinforcements coming that are much better defensive players. Kendrick Nunn, THT, and, and Trevor Ariza are all massive defensive upgrades over some of the guys they've had to play tonight. So there obviously are greener pastures on the other side, like I said. However, I, I can't remember a time watching LeBron and AD play this well on both ends and lose that in the last two years. So that has to at least that has to at least make you scratch your head a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And on your point about role players, like they didn't bring in Russell Westbrook to be a role player, I guess. You know what I mean? Like looking at looking at it from that point of view, like I saw a lot of people saying, like, I wish we had you know, KCP or something like that back. But this is just totally different. Like we talked about when we talked about the preseason, when you ask, add Russ to a team, it's almost like adding two to three players, right? Just in terms of like what he does and his usage and all that stuff. When you add that to it, it's going to take time. And I know like it's tough to preach patience. Like if the Lakers are like, I know you predicted them to win a lot of games. And so we, so did I, but if they're like five and 10 or something, there's the, the world's going to crash or all that stuff's going to come out. But, you know, they have an easy schedule to start. They play Phoenix next. And, look, they could lose to Phoenix as well. Phoenix has kicked our butt for the last four or five times, I think, even if you include preseason and the last few playoff games without AD. They're confident. They're a good team. I'm not sure if Devin Booker's playing or not, but they, we could lose then. And then we have a, some easy games after that. And, and Russ will get comfortable. And But, again, like I think looking at it from, like, comparing him to like a guy who's like a three and D player. It's just not what he's brought in here to. He's brought in to be like a usage player. Like the whole point, and again, losing these non LeBron minutes are, are really tough because the whole point of bringing Russ in was so that you can have Russ AD man, these, you know, non LeBron minutes. And we're just got cooked defensively tonight. And the Warriors are a tough team to guard. Anyway, Jordan Poole absolutely cooked. I thought it was unfair to throw Malik Monk onto Jordan Poole and just try to tell him to stop him. Jordan Poole got cooking, but, um, but that's when we lost the game, in my opinion, was those second units when LeBron went off the floor. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to take time with, time with Russ, and we'll see on Friday. But it wasn't a great start. And, like, I guess my silver lining, this is probably, like, what the worst game of Russ would look like. And I'm, I don't think it will be the last game, but I think this is kind of what you'll see. This is the floor, I guess. Would you agree with that? This would kind of be the floor. I mean, he, he finished. He was like, yeah, this is this – is, <laughs> it's hard to be worse than he was tonight on both ends of the floor. It's hard to be worse than Right, and I don't really like the box score plus minus stat, you know, but minus 23 kind of fits, you know, even if you just look at it from the eye test and the film. It does kind of fit. It felt like uh, it was ugly, and you could see him trying to not step on toes, and I, I would kind of like him to just be kind of aggressive. I think the style of play fits him, this transition, fast-paced play, and uh, he's still trying to figure out with his teammates, but I just like him to be a little bit more aggressive in that and I think he will. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, you can actually go ahead and start, uh, everybody, if you have anything you want to say, or if you have any, uh, thing you want to vent about, or if you have any questions, get your requests in now, Raj is going to get our first guest up there. Um, uh, what I was going to say is that, you know, I I always want to be careful with my analysis immediately after a game, obviously, because there's some emotion (laughs) involved. Obviously, I've been obviously I've been deeply annoyed tonight. Uh, we will have uh, something come out in the next couple of days that is uh, more measured in responding to the tape because you and I are both going to rewatch the game in its entirety mm-hmm. and try to get more to the bottom of of what actually happened. Um, the last little random shout out I wanted to put in there was Avery Bradley. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a huge fan of the signing for a bunch of reasons. He was great with the Lakers. I think Laker fan base can be pretty ravenous. And when he decided not to go to the bubble, most of the fans turned on him, which I think is pretty messed up just because of the the totality of 
the pandemic and all the crap that was going on there. I mean, even Trevor Reza decided not to go with the Blazers. Like it just was a complicated decision for a lot of these guys to leave their families for as long as they had to. Um, that said, I thought he was really good with the Lakers uh, in a lot of different ways. And, and I, and I really liked the signing and I, and just, just to toss him a compliment here. What a professional to basically have no practice time or game reps with the team and to step in, in what amounted to a pretty intense game for a regular season game and to do your job and to be a net positive, in my opinion, in terms of his individual impact in those minutes and knock down some big shots, chase guys over screens and make some plays. Like you said, get back to running an action that he used to run like over a year ago. I just thought it was really impressive of him. And I wanted to give him a shout out. Yep. And uh, we have uh, Eric up here. And I'll just a little shout out to Bazemore. We'll get into him a little bit deeper later, I'm sure. But I thought he played really well tonight. His point of attack defense was mm-hmm. great. He hit his threes, I believe. I don't know what he shot, but it seemed like he had timely threes. So shout out to Bazemore as well. I thought he had a good game. But uh, Eric, uh, can you hear us? Yep, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. What's going on? Eric, what's up, man? What's going on, guys? Um, uh, okay. So there's a lot of positives, right? Um, Bron and AD looked amazing, right? And that's always a positive. The problem, and I'm praying this isn't a season-long thing, is, you know, Vogel has this thing where he's very stubborn with his lineups, and it drives me through the roof, right? Russ was terrible, let's be clear. But we've got 10 years of film on Russ, so you know who Russ is, and you know what lineups will work with him. Why you're starting DeAndre Jordan with him, I have no idea. Because now, all right, he's already trying to fit in. And then when he does drive, he's driving into a clogged paint. Well, that's not going to work, right? So now he's settling for jumpers that he can't hit. Well, that's not going to work either. And then Jordan comes out, and you pair him with Rondo. So I'm like, you know, if I, <laughs> Russ had to feel like he was in heaven. Right. (laughs) So, yes, we're going to pile on Russ, but I actually felt horrible for him because Vogel did him absolutely zero favors tonight. None. Like those lineups were the worst lineups you could possibly imagine for Russell Westbrook. The worst. And then uh, uh, finally he, he got two minutes of A.D. Right. He makes two layups. So I'm like, okay, good. Then Dwight comes in. I was like, yo. Like, why are you doing this to this man? Like, why are you like, why are you doing this to him? He had to feel like he was in hell. And he's going to get slammed, and he should. He wasn't good. But Vogel has to do a better job of, of, of maximizing the lineups. You can't have Russ with clogged paints for, for his whole 35-minute stint. That's ridiculous, right? He can't shoot. We know this. But there are things that Russ can do. He should have been able to take more pressure off of Bron and AD with, you know, his assaults on the rim if the rim was open for him to do so. I watched, there was three times, and I said it on Twitter, where he drove down the lane and DeAndre just stood there. Hey, man, if you see him driving, move. Like, don't just stand there. Like, move. Like, stuff like that was driving me nuts. It's little things, but... That's look, if Russ gets it going, if he makes a few of those layups, now Russ is unguardable, right? And he's playing with confidence and he's doing Russ stuff. But when he's missing layups and missing jumpers and he's unsure, that translates to his energy on the defensive end. And it, it was 
it was just bad. Like, so I Vogel Vogel frustrated me with the Rondo Westbrook lineups. He frustrated me with the the Westbrook Jordan lineups, the Westbrook Dwight lineups. And I don't think we got a lot of Westbrook AD lineups. Like maybe at the tail end of the game, but like I think that's the lineup that you need. Like put him at the five. Let let him do more of that. That's my opinion. I don't know what you guys think, but that was my opinion. So I think you hit on something super interesting having to do with like the totality of the picture of the game, because in my opinion, even if you win the DeAndre Jordan minutes, which they did, they were plus two. um, You have to look at the totality of, of the impact of the players on the floor and their rhythm. So for instance, let's say that instead of starting DeAndre Jordan, you start any other guard and you slide LeBron and AD to the four and five. Maybe Russ gets one or two easy layups in his first shift, as opposed to not having those opportunities at the rim. And maybe that changes the complexion of the game for him in terms of his confidence and and his rhythm. Those are the kinds of things that I look at. You know, LeBron and AD are so good that we are kind of, you know, spoiled into thinking that these players can, you know, just organically find a way to impact the game, even if they are forced to play in crowded space. But Russ isn't at that level. Russ is going to be a player that is going to be more inconsistent, which means he's going to lean more on his confidence and his rhythm. And so those are the things that I look at. Would I, I would rather lose the starters minutes by two points, trade the four points on the scoreboard for Russ's rhythm, for Russ's comfort and confidence. And so I agree with you in that regard. As far as the Anthony Davis part, same thing. I I would rather give LeBron the challenge, make LeBron play with Dwight, make LeBron play with the other role players, let Russ and AD get all the non-LeBron minutes mm-hmm. together. Not, not only does that give you your best opportunity to win the non-LeBron minutes, but it gives Russ his best opportunity to try to find a rhythm. Now, I need to dig more into the film to see exactly how he split the rotation, so I don't want to offer too much criticism until I, I'm, I have a little bit more you know, education on it. That said... I agree with you in, in principle. Like you have to find a way to set Russ up to succeed. And the way you do that is the same way Daryl Morey did it by giving him space. And you happen to have the world's biggest cheat code in Anthony yes. Davis that can offer that can offer space while simultaneously giving you the physical impact of a bigger lineup. Yes. One last thing. I thought uh Roz was starting to touch on it. I thought Bayes was incredible, honestly. Um it's funny because a lot of, you know, the, the announcers were talking about, you know, oh, Steph's just off. No, he wasn't just off. Bays was in his shorts. Like, he played him about mm-hmm. as well as you're going to play Steph Curry. He was physical. He was on it. Now, obviously, they practiced together for a year, so, you know, I'm sure that helped. But nonetheless, <laughs> he played Steph as well as one person is going to play him. I mean, yes, they trapped a little bit, but the Lakers didn't trap as much as I thought they were going to. Because he fought through a lot of those screens. He played Steph really well. Like, if Steph hits those shots, you just got to talk. Okay, he's Steph. But those were hard shots he was taking. He had a couple open ones, but he was so out of rhythm because most of the shots were tough that, you know, it, it, it's almost like, all right, I mean, Steph is human. He's, he's going to miss some shots. And so kudos to Steph for doing a bunch of other things and making a lot of other winning plays. But I think Bazemore had a lot to do with, you know, with his, his struggles tonight, right? The length, the strength, the foot movement. And, and Baze did hit some, some timely shots. So I was encouraged by what I saw with him. 
Um, I'm not as critical of the mellow minutes as maybe some other. I, I do agree with Raj that he probably played maybe six to seven minutes too many, but I liked the fact that he was a bucket when he got on the court and he was a threat and that kind of opened up, opened it up a little bit. And if he didn't play so many minutes with Dwight, I think it would have been better. I think if he'd have played more minutes with, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say with AD, but I think if he'd have played more in, in, in scoring minutes, I think he would have. It wouldn't have looked so bad. But the fact was, you know, he's trying to post up. Dwight's right there, so it looks. It all looks cluttered. I think Vogel just has to find a better balance with these big AD at the five minutes. He's he's got to figure that out because this team is not a phenomenal three point shooting team. So clogging the paint just doesn't help. Brown was phenomenal tonight. I don't know that he's going to shoot. 50% from three for the season. Like that's unrealistic. Right. So <laughs> I think, I think he's got to do a better job of managing these lineups because to, to Jason's point, you can't have Brian and AD playing this well and lose, but I think he did everyone. And I know there's some injuries and, and, you know, when the lineup's healthier and you will be better, I know that, you know, none will make a big difference because that'll cut into some of those Rondo minutes and, you know, all that good stuff. But, I think Vogel could have done literally two, three lineup tweaks to change this result tonight. Um, he watched Monk get cooked for a whole third quarter. All right, listen, man. I only need to see two, three minutes of that to say, all right, you got to get out. A.B., go, just go guard him. We'll figure out your offense, but just go guard him. Like, I don't need to watch eight minutes of pool cooking him to realize he can't guard him. Like, it was little stuff like that, and I was just like, just pull the trigger quicker. Eric, that was a textbook vent session. I was so impressed. I know. You awesome. hit on a lot of stuff. You hit on a lot of stuff. But I'll just speak on your Bazemore point, and you're totally right. Bazemore was awesome. Like, Steph's going to hit those shots sometimes. Like, he missed a few that he would usually hit. But I thought Bazemore did as well as he could. He was physical with him. Um, I didn't like that Vogel pulled him out after those two quick ones. I would have liked him to stay on him. I think that next possession, Steph got fouled by Carmelo, I believe, on a three yep. right after right after uh, Bazemore came out. But he was right with him. He was going around him on screens. I've said before, he's our best point of attack defender right now maybe Avery Bradley kind of takes that takes that uh from him but for right now Bazemore's our best and he had his corner threes he was good he fits our like transition game that we want to play he makes some questionable decisions sometimes but like he's fast he runs the floor he runs he fills the wing and uh he knows how to rotate to the corners like he's a he's a nice two guard to start for right now so uh, I think he was great and uh, we'll uh we'll see (laughs) we'll see uh we'll see next game but I thought he was good on Steph I agree with you yeah Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Eric. We'll see you next time. All right, who's next? I think we have Nick coming up next. I think space has gone better with connecting, at least from what I see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is good news. Or maybe not. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Nick, what's going on, man? What's up, Nick? And he went back down, so maybe he wasn't ready. Uh, let's see. So chosen one. Yo, can you hear us? Okay, maybe not. I see him up here, but let's get someone else. Yo, can you hear us? Leaving, Liven. 
Oh yeah, I can hear you. Oh my bad, I don't know. You're good. What's going on, man? Uh yeah. What's up, man? How are you guys doing? Oh man, good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so to me, like starting DeAndre Jordan, like I get it. I, I, okay, I don't get it, but I'll say this: like <laughs> to be honest, it really messes up the rhythm. I think offensively for the Lakers, so I really don't like uh, DeAndre Jordan starting because it, it really drives me crazy. Because like. I don't know. He don't bring nothing productive to the table. So I'm like, why is like, why is DJ even, especially a team like the Warriors where Kavon Looney is starting? Like, like, like I'm, not, I'm not, I was wondering like, does Frank Bogle think Kavon Looney is going to have some, I don't know, some huge impact to the point where like, we're going to need a big. And like, to me, honestly, like, I know this has been talked about so long all summer, but I feel like 80 should, 80 really should be starting at the five. Cause I don't see any, like, there's no bruisers in the NBA that are at the five that are going to make me go, oh, my God, um, if AD uh, starts at the five, like he's going to get hurt and stuff. I don't I don't understand that. Um, but I say we are missing a lot of rotation guys today, so I really won't. I'm not going to overreact. I mean, when we get, you know, THT, um, Ariza, none, when we get those guys in the mix, I feel like it'll look a lot better than it did tonight. Um, but I feel like the only way for, like, for Russ to be successful on the Lakers is if, as if, if, as if, as, oh my God, as, as if AD plays the five more, in my opinion. And I feel like when, you know, when those guys get back, like Ariza and stuff, I feel like um, Melo won't have to play as much minutes. And I don't, and also like <laughs> playing Rondo, <laughs> uh, Rondo bringing up the ball with Russ on the wing, like Russ is some remarkable three-point shooter. I don't know. Those those lineups don't make sense to me either. But you know, it's game one. It's game one. You know, gotta be patient. We'll see what goes on for the rest of the year. So, so really, really quickly on the the Kevon Looney thing, like that's the type of big DeAndre Jordan can start against, right? Like you don't want him starting against these like spacing out fives. Like when you have these traditional fives, like he can kind of start with them. And again, like it's crazy to me. We kind of focus on this. He played twelve minutes. Like he played six minutes each half. And I see all this rust. Like can't be successful. Um, unless he's next to 80 at the five and you know it's not conductive to him like it doesn't help him that the spacing isn't great it's not exactly fit his game but I think that lets Russ off too easy like it like it doesn't give enough credit to where Russ can still be like even even if the spacing isn't great like it's not going to be like even if LeBron and Russ are sharing the floor they're going to live with LeBron and Russ kind of shooting jumpers and even though LeBron was going tonight that's kind of a win for the defense if LeBron is taking jumpers if AD is taking jumpers right so even if AD's at the five you're still going to have a packed paint a lot of the time unless you have like Wayne Ellington or something out there but like still paint's going to be packed doesn't mean Russ can't play his game at all like he can he still has to be able to attack in some way form be a threat and I feel like he just hasn't been a threat as much as he can be from last year. And again, maybe it's just him starting slow, but there's like this line between what he is right now, which is just like, we can, we can preach patience. I'll preach patience. I'll say process over results, but we can be honest as well. He hasn't been great. And that's true. Like we can tell the truth. He hasn't been great, but there's this line between what he was and what he is right now. That's not just answered by putting AD at the five. You know what I mean? And even though we're getting AD at the five and some points here, like if they can't defend at a baseline level to where Vogel sees they can, we're not going to get much AD at the five minutes either, right? If we have all these guards that are getting killed, Malik Monk couldn't stay on any screens with with uh, with Jordan Poole. Rajon Rondo dying on screens. Westbrook isn't that type of defender where he chases guys off. 
chases around screens. You know what I mean? He's a guy that likes to crash offensive board, which is great. But what happens when you die on a screen and try to box out? Like, those are all kind of things that happen. And if AD is the only guy down there getting rebounds, like, that's something that Vogel will look at as well. But I just feel like this, like, answer to Russ, is AD at the five, is, is too simplified to me. Like, it, it doesn't give Russ – it lets Russ off too easy, in my opinion. Like, he's better than this, and he can be better. And maybe the spacing isn't conductive to it, but it doesn't mean he has to – be this ineffective that makes sense jason does that make sense so i it makes sense i just i just disagree respectfully <laughs> like the, the the so when when you watch prime russell westbrook like I, I was joking on the pod the other day about watching the 2014 western conference finals mm-hmm. he was so he was such a nuclear athlete right that it's kind of it's kind of jarring to watch in retrospect looking back now because of just how incredible he is, at, even in tight space, even next to Kendrick Perkins and Serge Ibaka at beating guys off the dribble and floating by shot blockers to finish. The truth of the matter is that at this phase of his career, you know, he's kind of like he's more of that, you know, third, fourth, fifth tier type of star and third, fourth, fifth tier type of athlete. So the truth is, is like the reason why you need to give him the space is because he's a non-shooting dribble drive guard who isn't a, you know, earth shattering superstar. So from that standpoint, if you allow teams to pack the paint on him, it immediately makes him more limited. It's, it's really that simple to me. So, you know, there's a reason why all of a sudden he exploded playing with the, uh, the Houston Rockets after they traded Clint Capella. It's because all of a sudden he didn't have to navigate a packed paint it was all I got to do is beat my man off the dribble with, which at this phase in his career, because of his strength and size and because he still is an above average athlete, he is capable of beating that point of attack defender. But it's that it's the next layer of the defense at this phase in his career that he's going to struggle with. And so I don't think it's coincidence that he had some success in Washington when they were able to, you know, play with guys like Bertans and get a little bit more pick and pop where he was able to have a little bit more space to operate around the rim. But at the end of the day with this group of guys, because of what, because like you, you always talk about this, Raj, the difference between a a shooter and a guy that like the defense that can make shots, but that the defense doesn't really Mm -hmm. guard. And, and, And that's where it gets difficult because Anthony Davis for all of his strengths He's not a guy that teams are going to be blitzing off the three-point line. I, I could, you could even really say the same thing about LeBron, to be honest. Yeah. Like, there were several possessions today. There were several possessions today where LeBron's defender was heavily sagging into the paint to help off on guys. Honestly, I thought there was an opportunity where Anthony Davis needed to be a little bit quicker at, at to pass out. The point is, is that with that group, when you've got LeBron and AD on the floor, guys who can make shots but that aren't really having guys glued to them, and then you add in the the DeAndre Jordan element of, of his man sitting basically directly under the basket. That just makes it so that Russ now has to navigate a thicket of bodies that he's just not capable of navigating at this point in his career. And so I do I do think that specifically for him, it it, it is a factor um, that remains to be seen. If over the course of the season, if he proves me wrong that with lineups that have some non-shooting that he's able to eventually figure it out. But I, I tend to think that when he looks his best this year, it will be in lineups where he doesn't have to deal with a big parked under the rim waiting for him. Yeah. I agree with you on that. I just think like he shouldn't look, I guess this bad, not having that. Like, obviously I think he'll look great with 
with AD at the five. And obviously AD looks best when he's at the five as well, right? But when AD plays the four, he can't just be this non-effective player. Just like I think when Russ plays with these two big lineups, which I think we're going to see a lot in the regular season. It's pretty clear. I don't know how much DeAndre is going to be in the rotation when we get healthy, but Dwight's going to be in the rotation. They like him there. Like we're going to see that he's going to have to get used to it in some, in some point. I do think there's ways he can get to it. I think there's ways that you can run actions to where he's, he's getting, He's getting downhill, you know what I mean? Like, I see, I saw a lot of that tonight as well. Mm-hmm. He missed a lot at the rim, too, which, again, like, has nothing to do with – it has some to do with the spacing, but some of the layups he's missed are pulling blank as well. Just, like, I feel like he's hitting his head a lot um, with these games. But but you're right. It'll look best when he's at the five. I just think that he has to find a way to also be effective with these two big lineups because I think we're going to see it. Yep, I agree. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, in terms of – the reason why I have a problem with uh, DeAndre Jordan starting is because, like – I'll say, like, even if Russ, like, I know he's not as athletic as he used to be back in the day, but even then, so, like, even if, like, a man commits to him and he's passing the ball to DeAndre Jordan, they're just going to foul the shit out of DeAndre Jordan. And, you know, how you know how likely it is for DeAndre Jordan to hit two free throws. So, you know, I'm just saying, like, that's the point. <laughs> it don't make a lot of sense to me. But, you know, but we'll see. I hear you, man. Hey, Levon, I appreciate you hopping on and, and talking with us, man. We'll see you next time. We're going to get on to a couple more callers. And AD has data free throws, too. I think he was like, what, two for six tonight or something? Two for seven? Yeah. The most bizarre thing with his shooting slump is the free throw stuff. Because like, he just he just was a knockdown free throw shooter in the past. That is what it is. He's got to work his way through that. And I would say him making Hello? some of these pull-up jump shots is a good spot to yeah, start. Yeah, his jumper was going. What's up, man? What's going on, Joe? Hey, what's up, fellas? Um, just real quick, do you guys think uh, Austin uh, Austin Reeves would be able to get into the let, let's say like you know when the game's out of hand or whatever, and you know we got these injuries? You guys think he will get a look in the game, or maybe they they just don't think he's ready for this this type of action right now? I think he's absolutely ready. However, I don't think you'll see him play, and the answer is really simple. With that specific concoction of egos in that locker room playing Austin Reeves 20 minutes and leaving some of these other veteran players off the floor, I don't think would sit well uh, in the totality of the, 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 the locker room vibe. It really shouldn't work that way. <laughs> it really shouldn't. But unfortunately that's just the reality of the way this business works. And if I'm frank, the way I'm looking at it is I'm not going to have to play some of these guys anyway in a couple weeks when everyone gets healthy. So rather than playing Reeves now and getting a better outcome now and having potentially some negative impacts on the culture in the locker room, maybe you ride it out with the vets. And then, cause you know, if Rondo's sitting for Kendrick Nunn, he's not going to argue because Kendrick Nunn is their mid-level exception player He's a, he's a player that it makes perfect sense to play over Rondo. But if you play Reeves over Rondo, maybe there's some chatter. You know what I mean? And so I think that's the angle there. But I'm with you in the sense that I absolutely think Reeves could have helped tonight. He's going to get his shot. Like, yeah, he's, he's definitely going to get his shot. Like, it's funny. In the preseason, he was the first sub for most of the games. Austin Reeves was the first guy mm-hmm. uh, subbed in. I'm going to push back. Look, there's politics in every locker room, and obviously the guys who's been in the league a long time are going to get the shot. But, I mean, we saw kind of THT take, you know, West Matthews minutes last year. I mean, Vogel, I think, will play him. Eventually he's going to get a shot here, especially if the defense continues to look like this. And we've said before he looks ready, and preseason is what it is, though. 
we do have to see it in the regular games, but just from like a basketball IQ point and knowing where how to play next to superstars, he looks really ready for that. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I think it's going to be in, be a while, especially if our guys start to get healthy as well. Uh, but he's gonna he's gonna get his shot to play. He looked good in the preseason, and I don't see a reason why Vogel at, at least wouldn't try it. I mean, he went to Avery Bradley tonight, who was signed less than 24 hours ago, and almost closed the game. And you could tell Vogel is kind of searching for these places where he can find defense, right? And I think if Austin Reeves shows he can, he'll, he'll play. Yeah, and and two, I, I I looked specifically at LeBron, and I and I saw where. You know, in the midst of that uh, that run that the Warriors made, I saw where he got a little bit frustrated. Uh, you know, whether it was with Russ or whoever, I saw that. So I know it's going to be a process for him, but I still trust in the guy. He looked outstanding, and uh, man, I, I just think it's going to be a process and, and, and to see how this team goes. But just looking forward to uh, participating with you guys after each uh, Lakers uh, game, man. Appreciate y'all. We appreciate you, appreciate Joe. You, we will see you hopefully on Friday night. Absolutely. Appreciate you, man. All right. We're going to try to run through these ones <laughs> a little quicker. Let's see. Uh, DCS, can you hear us? Okay. Yo, what up? What up? What's going on, man? What's up, man? Hey, okay. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, guys. But um, quickly, man, I just want to talk about LeBron's jump shot tonight, guys, and his shot selection overall, like with, uh, I guess, with DeAndre and Dwight. Even though they only both played 13 minutes each, so maybe our spacing wasn't really as bad as we're going on about. But what do you guys think about LeBron's jumper overall and, and shot selection tonight? It looks like he's being more aggressive with Russell Westbrook. I thought LeBron looked fantastic, obviously. Uh, I didn't have a problem with his shot selection at all. I thought most of his jump shots, especially from three, kind of felt like the right read out of pick and roll or out of a catch and shoot situation with a defender closing out. It didn't feel like a a guy who was settling because he didn't feel like driving to the basket. It felt like solid shot selection. Just in general with LeBron, I think one of the things that people – have underestimated with his extended prime here is, you know, they, they compare him to Giannis in a lot of ways as a guy who leaned heavily on his physical tools. And he certainly did early in his career, but for basically the last six or seven years, he's been a guy who's leaned heavily on his IQ and his passing ability and his ability to knock down the jump shot and his ability to score out of the mid range. And those are things that we're always going to, stay with him through this phase of his career. And I don't think it's a coincidence that even though he's about to turn 37, which side point here, I love LeBron, big LeBron fan. It's kind of driving me nuts how often the broadcast brings up. It's his 19th season. It's like, we get it, man. Okay. Let's just watch the game. But, but the, but the point, the point is, is like, I, I'm not surprised at all that he looks this good still. And the reason why, in my opinion, is his game was built to age well. And it, I, I, I absolutely think that he'll look more or less like this throughout the season. I think his jumper looked a little smoother, too. Like, in the way he was shooting it, he was shooting it off the dribble hand. Like, the guy was right in front of him. Like, it, was, it seemed like a lot. he had a lot more confidence tonight. Normally, you see LeBron have, like, a more feel-out style game when it's, like, the first game of the season or he eases into things. But he, he seemed like he was on go mode. Mm-hmm. 
he's been shooting consistently pretty damn good since 2017. This is definitely a an extended trend. Yeah, in my opinion. But you could tell he was feeling it tonight, though, right, with his jumper. Oh had, yeah, for sure. <laughs> he had that sure. one in transition, I think, where like he did a running fadeaway jumper over. Wait, and get the, he missed that one, but you could just tell he was feeling good with a jumper. And again. That one was online too. That one had a chance. <laughs> and again, I thought his jumper kind of masked a lot of the ugly offense as well. He did take a couple of tough ones that went in. He had some fadeaway ones that were just beautiful to watch. I think it was, I think another one over Wiggins as well that didn't that barely touched the net. Uh, but yeah, his jumper looked good, man. And LeBron looks good. And we talk about it all the time. That's him and AD looking like themselves is the most important thing. We can banter about Russ and Malik Monk and Rajan Rondo and Carmelo Anthony. But those two on the floor, 38 minutes tonight in a playoff series, I'll, I'll take it. And again, this is day one, but that's the most important thing. We got that uh, ground floor level there, right? Now we can build on top of that. You're right. Can, that's your foundation. Yeah, we can build on top yep. of that. But if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what's on top of it, right? If you don't have a ground floor, you don't have a house. So uh, that's the main thing. And you're right, LeBron looked, LeBron looked incredible. Year 19. Did you, Jason, did you know it's year 19? I wasn't sure. Did you know? Yeah. <laughs> I kept, I was watching the game with my wife and I just kept looking over. I'm like, do you know? Could you, can you tell me what year LeBron is in with this NBA? Career? It's getting out of control. Like, if I, I could totally see how LeBron haters are like, this, this guy. <laughs> what did you guys think about AD's shot selection tonight and how he was being used in the offense, how he was getting his shots and so forth? I thought he was great. I mean, I, so I actually uh, cherry picked a clip um, after the Kings game where early in the game where he had, I think it was Mo Harkless on him on the right block and uh, the paint was pretty much clear. I think there was a guard waiting for him underneath the paint, but not somebody who would have deterred him from getting all the way to the rim. And he kind of took a crazy like fade away looking like MJ kind of curling into the lane and he bricked it. And it was what started a five for 19 night for him. And, I was critical because it just looked like because Moharkless is only six eight and relatively thin, it looked like an opportunity for AD to start the game off with a more physically aggressive move. You know, Anthony Davis all night tonight, even though he did take some tough jump shots mixed in there, all night tonight he had really good balance between the tougher jump shots and the physical aggressive moves into the lane. And he had several plays that were just like the Mo Harkless one where he had a smaller wing on him. And instead of really crazy fading away, he created some contact, got closer to the rim, took, you know, something more like a straight up jump shot or a hook. That is a significantly higher percentage shot and made it work. And then this is something Mr. Darius Soriano from Laker film room is going to Uh, preach about a lot and he's right about it is you know last season ad did not screen and dive to the rim at all he would just screen and pop and there were several plays tonight where he took on the challenge the physical challenge of setting the screen and rolling into the paint understanding you're going to be banging into bodies and understanding you're going to have to regain your bearings after catching a tough pass and try to finish but he did all of that tonight I, i was absolutely blown away impressed by both ad and lebron tonight i thought they were both fantastic Yep, I thought AD, it's good process, right? We talk about with AD a lot. Like, we don't mind the jumpers. It just, it should come through his aggression attacking the rim. And I'm going to try to chart this as much mm-hmm. as I can. But I believe, like, his first touch was, like, he went at, he attacked the basket against Draymond Green. I think he got free throws or something like that. And it's just, that's a mindset he should have. And, again, the, the fadeaway jumpers will come from that, right? He was kind of bullying Juan Descano Anderson. And then he got another post up on him and hit this, like, fadeaway jumper on him. And, again, that's through him being aggressive attacking the rim. So I thought he was great. He looks 
he looks so much better than he did to start last season. If you go start, if you go watch those games, uh, just it's just a huge difference from what he is now. And I think he was better on defense tonight than he was on offense, and he had a pretty good game on offense as well tonight. So I thought AD was himself. Mm-hmm. Like he, he needs to be this, by the way, for this team. Uh, so yeah, th- those two guys were great. They were great. Thanks for hopping on, man. We appreciate you, and we'll be back Friday night if you want to come back and vent again. Nice one. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good appreciate night. it, man. Thank you. <clears throat> I think we have uh, two more, and we'll we'll close this out. Cool. Nick, can you can you hear us? You there, Nick? Yeah, can you guys hear me? Well, we can hear you. What's going on, man? What's up, man? Uh, yeah, I was just I was watching Russ today. And, you know, I'm not going to overreact to one game, but I was trying to contextualize it in the course of a full season and what you're going to need from him. And I'm really, it's really hard for me to understand what you're, what you're going to use him for in the five minutes of winning time. Like, who is he when the game is tied 100-100, five minutes left? Is he initiating the offense? Is he standing in the corner? I mean, he's not really a defensive stopper, and he's not really a three-point threat. So what is he doing in those five minutes that really helps you win? I think this is a, I think this is a great point, and I think this is the 90, however games they have, 82-game question, right? It's like, this is what they need to figure out. Like, what does he do? Because, let's be honest, like, LeBron can talk about, you know, giving up some ball-handling responsibilities and all that, but those are in games that don't matter, right? Like, in the last five minutes, last ten minutes of games, LeBron James is going to have the basketball. AD is likely the screener, or he's going to be involved in some way, unless LeBron wants to attack a switch or whatever. But last five tens, he's going to have the ball. And I think there are some things you can do. Jason can speak on this as well, but I think Russ has a screener or something he's going to have to get more used to. You see it a little bit, but you could also see him. It's just not something he does on a consistent basis, right? He's not a guy who screens really hard and then rolls really hard. And, you know, it's just comfortable doing that. And that's something that he's going to have to to, for them two to kind of work together jason what do you see from there because i think this is a, a really great point that's something they're gonna have to figure out for sure for starters so yeah the the first thing is the staggering so i thought it was really interesting that uh lebron typically is the first sub mm-hmm. in uh, in a laker game he usually will come out you know shortly after the first media timeout and last season they would let schroeder and anthony davis run the end of the second quarter or end of the first quarter excuse me And then LeBron would come in with like one minute left in the first quarter, and then he'd run the bench to start the second quarter. Well, tonight they took Russ out first. Um, I think right around the seven minute mark, I'll have to watch the tape to be a hundred percent sure. But the point is, is that was clearly done in my opinion uh, to, to help stagger LeBron and, uh, and Russ because LeBron actually stayed in longer than usual. I think he came out right around the four minute mark in the first quarter and they ran uh, and they brought Russ back at that point. So staggering is the first way, but we always are going to come back to the closing lineups, right? What are you going to do when Russ is on the floor and LeBron is on the floor, but you're having Russ, uh, LeBron run the actions. And this is a legitimate question because you're going to see it a lot. You probably yep. throw a post, throw it, throw the ball to the post with Anthony Davis and Russ's man is, is just when Russ cuts through, you'll literally see Russ's man stay on the strong side of the floor like Russ will cut through and he just will stop at the block and just stay you know literally it's almost like a shift in baseball just like all the way over to 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 shut the play down you have to find some way to counter that and so the the two big ones that I look at 
are are one using him as a screener, basically turning him into Draymond. They try to draw a trap and put Russ in a position where he can play four on three, uh, you know, off of a little looping pass or, or pocket pass. And then two is uh, just using his athleticism to wreck habit. That can be either as a cutter or an offensive rebounder, or one of the other big ones that I'd, I'd like to see some more experimentation with is have Russ take on a traditional spot up position on the floor and preferably where he can actually get the ball. So if you run him to the weak side corner, it's just difficult to get it to him there. But if he's going to be ignored, have him catch and just go like have him catch and just barrel into the lane. And just by the natural way that basketball works, I think it will collapse the defense in a lot of ways and and open up some things. Um, But those are the things that like, like Raj said, that's, that's the 82 game question. That's the, that's what they have to work out throughout this part of the season. And fortunately, because of how easy the schedule is, like I think the Lakers will win the next eight games um, with how easy their schedule is. They, uh, um, they have an opportunity here to kind of work through some of this stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And like, they did some things where like they, they get, uh, when Russ was off the ball, like he set like a pin screen where like since he no since no one's guarding him as well he screens for the guy who's trying to shoot in the corner like did little things like that but they have to figure it out because let me tell you like we talked about this over the summer he's gonna be on the floor when it matters like there's none of this Russ is gonna be on the bench or, no, no that's not happening Russ is gonna be on the floor when these games matter in the final five minutes and they have to figure out how to do it there's things to do I think they can figure it out LeBron Vogel you know Rondo all those brain trusts I think can figure it out but you talked about him as a screener him attacking the offensive boards. I think you can kind of flip it where he's the center, right? I think Houston did this a lot where they'd have P.J. Tucker at the five. And so then Russ would kind of be your center, de facto center where P.J. Tucker's kind of the spaceman and him and Harding could kind of run screen roll actions. I see similar things in that where AD is P.J. Tucker in this kind of scenario. And obviously they're not the same type of player, but just in terms of the spacing on the floor, those are the kind of things I would like to see. And I want to watch this game to kind of rewatch this game to kind of see what he did. Uh, it was kind of tough to watch it while watching live action, uh, also with all the emotion in the game. But yeah, that's a, that's a great point though. They they had to figure it out. That's the eighty two game question. That's the championship question. Because you're not you're not winning a title if those three don't figure out what Russ is uh, in those last in when games matter. Yep, I agree. I hey uh, Raj, I think we got time for yeah. one more, man. What do you yeah, think? let's do one more and then we'll call it a night. Uh, I think. Uh, and if we missed anybody, guys, we will be doing these after every game of the regular season. So I promise we'll get to you eventually. All right, Sean. I think Sean's been waiting a while, so <laughs> we'll make him the last one. Sean, can you hear us? Yeah, are you there? Yeah. What's going on, man? Hey, hey, Sean. What's up, hey, man? man? I just wanted to talk about uh, Avery, Avery Bradley real quick. Yeah. Um, because it was crazy to me. Like he, I feel like he was the most effective overall guard on the floor tonight. And uh, I don't know if that was like something that's like carrying over from last year or whatever, but like to me, he looked super effective as far as like overall defense and offense goes. And that kind of concerns so, me. Go ahead. So our guards really struggled tonight. So, For sure. we, you know, it kind of reminds, it kind of reminds me of Austin Reeves in the preseason. Like he was the best guard in the preseason, but that was a really low bar. He was trying to hit <laughs> with how bad everybody was. That's, that's kind of the way tonight was like Rondo was really, really bad. 
Russell was really, really bad. Like Malik Monk uh, had hit a couple of threes, but, you know, struggled defensively. Actually, I think he might only hit one three. Um, anyway, B- Baysmore did good on, 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 on Steph, like we discussed earlier. But part of it is, is like, it's, you know, and this is the frustrating part in all of this. Like, if you really look at what Avery Bradley did when he came in the game, he applied ball pressure on defense and chased guys off the three-point line. He actually gave up some separation quite a bit. He just gave up the right kind of separation. And this is the important kind of thing we're going to harp on a lot this year. It's chasing guys off the three-point line so you can funnel them into your health defense and then putting in the additional effort after the fact to rotate out to the next shooter. That's all you're asking him to do defensively, and that's what he did. Offensively, he, I think, made two out of three from three, if I remember correctly. So obviously it's going to look good in that regard. And then they ran a really basic action, one they used to run a lot when he was a Laker in his first stint where, you know, he kind of curled off that AD dribble handoff and just made a read either. I'm going to pull up from 15 feet or float it up to Anthony Davis. And I think he connected with AD on one of those for a layup. Uh, but the point is, is like he did well. So I don't want to undercut it by any stretch of the imagination, but it kind of preaches or kind of comes back to what Raj and I have been talking about. Like, it's not a hard job. What, what these guards are asked to do in this system alongside the better players is not that hard of a job. What happened tonight, in my opinion, was the job became difficult because of some lineup decisions from Frank, you know, playing Mello and Malik Monk and Russ and Rondo at the same time, you're making it so that, that job is extremely complicated right. for those guys. And so I think that, that that's my theory on it is, is just, you know, keep things simple and these guys will knock it out of the park, but you've got to disperse your defensive minutes. Your the, the players you have that are good defensive players, you have to disperse them in a manner that makes it easier for you, the players who have, you know, some challenges with that throughout their career. Right. It did appear that he was somewhat like, he understood what his role was, and he mm-hmm. executed that. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yep. for sure. Avery Bradley. I mean, been in the league a while now. Uh, I, I was. I, I hope that they re-signed him actually uh, that summer when I think he went to Miami or whatever. Uh, but again, like eighties high on him. They called. They called their defense the Avery Challenge. I mean, that's pretty high regards uh, to put his name in there. And mm-hmm. look, he's a good point of attack defender. I thought like it wasn't fair for him to be put in that position where he had to come in and be the on-ball guy on Steph, right? After Steph's been resting, Steph comes back. <laughs> Steph comes back to a lead. You know, he was they were down when he went out. Steph comes back. The team's up six. You get Steph. He's on him. Uh, and I thought he did a fine job. And again, he they ran the actions that they do. Little little dribble handoff off the little horns, and he makes that. Like you said, Jason, it's a really quick read, right? It's either take the mid-range pull up or you know hit AD on the roll or hit the weak side shooter or whatever. Uh, I thought he was fine, but again, it wasn't really fair for me to put him in that situation and give the Warriors some credit. Like to me, they're a very unique team in terms of the way that they run their actions and all the screening that they do and, you know, all the decisions they make you do off of Steph's just off ball movement and stuff. That's a really tough thing. And True. when you combine that with the bad defenders that we had out there, like you were talking about Jason Rondo, Mello, all those dudes, like it's not a recipe for success. And I thought the lead wasn't really sustainable. Uh, LeBron and AD were amazing. Uh, but I thought the Warriors would eventually kind of take it, and they did. So we'll see you on Friday. But, uh, Sean, I appreciate you coming out, man. Right. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Sean.
All right, guys, that's all we have for tonight. I will be posting this on our podcast feed here within the next 15 minutes, hopefully if I don't fall asleep. (laughs) And then we will – this will be airing on Dash Radio tomorrow at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Nothing But Net channel. As always, we sincerely appreciate your guys' support. Thanks for listening to Raj and I venting our way through that um, long season – There's going to be a lot of good, I'm sure, a lot of reasons for us to be excited. Um, But a a good, good, interesting way to start the season, wouldn't you say, Rod? Yep, very interesting. And remember, this is uh, day one, so don't don't exhaust yourself. (laughs) Uh, This is day one of a very long process, so we're we're just at the beginning of it. But it should be a fun season. Appreciate everyone that uh, came and listened and and stayed this long, honestly, uh, till till 11, uh, listening to us.